0: Hey everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajima. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 34. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on December 9, 2018. First off, a quick personal update. I'm now in the editing phase for Genomic Data, book three of the Lara Kingsley series. If you're enjoying Bionic Bug thus far, you can order Project Echo, book two. I'm offering print versions on Amazon and the ebook version on Kobo or Walmart. I'll include the links in the show notes. Also, I'm really excited to announce that I've selected a professional narrator to produce the audiobook for Bionic Bug. I expect that this will become available in February or March of 2019. Let's talk tech. Three headlines for, actually, two headlines for this week. Um, last week, I talked at length about the CRISPR baby controversy. This week's headline is, Despite CRISPR baby controversy, Harvard University Will Begin Gene Editing Sperm, published on November 29 in MIT's Technology Review by an Antonio Regal- Regalado. This article highlights a critical dilemma surrounding many emerging technologies, the many benefits they offer to society. Of course, these are juxtaposed with risks in ethical gray areas. Um, And what troubles me most is the the lack of discourse and awareness about these issues beyond scientific communities who are concerned with the research. Um, And they they involve very important questions for society. Do we want to prevent genetic diseases from birth? If so, under what conditions? At Harvard University, scientists will be using CRISPR to edit the DNA of sperm cells in order to reduce the future risk of Alzheimer's. Unlike the controversial experiment in China, this research will not produce embryos or the birth of genetically modified babies, um, but it's still um, concerning to a lot of people. We're getting closer to the reality in which we can alter the DNA of children before they're born to enhance their health prospects. But I think an important question is, should we? The article raises some other important questions um, to think about. What if a new killer virus arises and sweeps the world? Maybe there wouldn't be a vaccine, but some people would be able to resist it thanks to their genes. Um, Wouldn't we want to give the the genetic antidote to all members of the next generation? There are a lot of important questions we need to answer and that debate needs to happen at a political and societal level and not not in niche, niche communities um, which they're currently happening. So last week, the Atlantic came out with a great summary of the issues surrounding the CRISPR baby controversy. I'm not going to talk about that article now, but, um, it's called the CRISPR baby scandal gets worse by the day. Great summary of the issues. I'll include the link in the show notes. My next headline is the coming cyber war. China may already be monitoring your electronic communications. This is an opinion editorial published by Morgan Wright on The Hill on December 4. Over the course of this podcast, I've talked a lot about China and its growing appetite for data. I've also spoken about some of uh, China's predatory technology transfer practices. In fact, this is a running theme in the Laura Kingsley series, um, one that starts uh, most strongly in Project Gecko, the second book. This op-ed highlights yet another example of China's activities designed to support its Made in China 2025 strategy, and it shows how we're missing the big picture. In this article, Mr. Wright discusses how U.S. subsidiaries of Chinese transportation companies are competing for contracts in the United States. In fact, they've won four contracts valued at $2.5 billion. For example, one of these Chinese-owned companies won the bid for producing 254 subway cars from the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. This bid was half the amount of the next highest bid. How is that even possible? Well, the Chinese government offered the company massive subsidies to give it the upper hand in the competition. Okay, if you're upset about this, then you're already missing the big picture. The real issue here is the technology that will be installed in these subway cars. Wi-Fi, surveillance cameras, automatic passenger counters, Internet of Things technology and Chinese software and hardware. All of this allows China to gather data. Okay, it's time for a soapbox moment. I don't think that we value data sufficiently in this country. Most of us, myself included, offer up massive amounts of data about ourselves to private companies in exchange for free services. What we fail to understand is that the future runs on data. Take CRISPR, for example. Without data about the genomes of living organisms and gene sequences, and what functions they code for, CRISPR is a hammer without a nail. People get up in arms about the ability of CRISPR to modify embryos, but don't even blink at the notion of sending their DNA away to a private company to learn about their ancestry. It's the data, stupid. Artificial intelligence is another area where people get more excited about the prospect of supermachines than the fact that machine learning tools run on data being collected by private companies, which which are then used to make decisions. Often this data simply reflects today's reality. It's often biased. We don't see it, but we're becoming prisoners of our own data. And that's where I'll leave you and step off my soapbox today. All right, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, we left Lara receiving a tour of Fiddler's Beetle Farm. Ooh, scary. Let's find out what happens next. (music) Chapter 34, The Lab Fiddler gripped Lara's wrist so tightly that the plastic ties cut deep into her skin. She winced as he pushed her past the terrariums through the heavy steel door and into a smaller adjoining room. After one final shove, she stumbled forward a few steps on the slippery white ceramic tiled floor. A musty stench assaulted her nose. Her eyes darted from the brown liquid in the test tubes on the counter to the high-tech lab machine, a large stainless steel refrigerator, and to the white lab coats hanging from hooks next to it. Fluorescent bulbs cast a yellow light over all of it. Fiddler's laboratory. Fiddler shut the door behind him. Both hands on her shoulders, he sat her on a stool in front of a stainless steel workbench at the center of the room. He took a seat on the other side of the bench, in front of the computer monitor. Lara absorbed her surroundings out of the corner of her eye. There were pipettes on a tray at the end of the workbench. Test tubes, petri dishes, and flasks were set up next to growth media on the counter underneath the cabinets. On the wall next to the cabinets, a large dry erase board took up the majority of the space. Formulas were written all over it, though their placements revealed no rhyme or reason. He must use this room for his biological experiments. Despite her discomfort, Lara breathed an audible sigh of relief. Thankful to be away from the beetles. Her stomach growled angrily. She couldn't remember the last time she ate something, and she was parched. I guess things could be worse, much worse. Images of Ashton being devoured by the beetle swarm flashed through her head. Shuddering, Lara wondered what Fiddler had in mind for her. This is where I do my research, Fiddler declared with pride. Lara nodded. He turned his attention back to the computer screen. For a few minutes, he typed away on the keyboard as though she weren't there. While Fiddler seemed distracted, Laura casually studied the lab in more detail. On the wall behind him, the clock showed 9 p.m. By now, Vic would be wondering about her whereabouts, but unable to reach her on her broken smartphone. She hoped Rob or Detective Sanchez might be looking for her and track her smartphone signal to the storage company. But would they even know where she she was missing? I didn't tell anyone I went to check out Sully's files what was I thinking? Lara had done it again. Vic would be livid. Why don't I ever think to ask for help? She'd risked her life more than once on the battlefield as she'd gone behind enemy lines, gathering information to thwart insurgent plans. It was worth it. This will be worth it too, if I can just figure out an exit plan. Lara focused on lowering her pulse, inhaling deeply through her nose and exhaling through her mouth. There has to be a way just think. It was time to get some answers from Fiddler. If she broke free somehow, the information she'd gathered on this mission would be key to stopping him. Her risk would be rewarded. The counter against the wall with the glass equipment drew her attention. There were fancy looking machines like the ones Lar had seen in Maggie's lab. Fiddler had clearly spared no expense in setting up his own workspace. Lara craned her neck to see behind her. A black violin case leaned against the wall in the far corner. It appeared to be the same one she'd found at the violin shop. She furrowed her brow. How often does Fiddler have find time to play his instrument? Does he even play at all anymore? Somehow she couldn't quite picture a mad scientist playing soothing tunes from Vivaldi or Mozart. Something hanging on the wall behind her caught his, her attention. There were two large maps taped there. The same ones of Fort Dietrich and Fort Meade she'd found in the violin shop. Both had red markers scribbled all over them, presumably indicating entry points and targets. I was right. He's planning an attack on the two bases. Next to the maps hung several giant images of Christmas beetles, and beside them, a massive photograph of a golden frog. Now that's curious. What kind of frog is that? When she turned back around, Fiddler was staring right at her with his cold, gray eyes. Her heart nearly stopped, and a flush crept over her face. Admiring my handiwork? Fiddler said. Your handiwork, Lara asked, her brow furrowed. He pointed at the maps. I still can't get over the beauty of my plan, and I haven't had the opportunity to share it with anyone. Maybe you'll indulge me. Sure, Lara shrugged, not wanting to appear too eager. Indulge away. I remember when the idea first came to me to use real bugs to bring about a plague on the two of the biggest bug agencies in the U.S. government. To bring about the plague with the plague! The irony, he chuckled to himself. Ha, Lara said. I get it. It was a good pun. Scientists at USAMRID handled live viruses and bacteria, aka living bugs. And the NSA used surveillance bugs to monitor communications. If it weren't for the whole bringing the plague thing, Lara might have laughed for real. The plan is definitely ironic. I'll give him that. Lara cleared her throat and pasted a friendly smile on her face like they were two buddies sharing secrets. You're a clever man, Fiddler. I can't wait to hear all the details. Fiddler started to talk again, but then he shot her a suspicious look. I see what you're doing. You think you can conjole me into sharing my plans. And then you, you think you and your FBI friends can stop me. I'm the only Fiddler around here. No one plays me for a fool. Lara gulped. Okay, getting information won't be so easy. A few seconds later, his dark mood dissipated and he smiled warmly again. On the other hand, I have been dying to tell someone, Fiddler clasped his hands together. Besides, I have special plans for you. There's no way you'll have a chance to tell anyone anything. What the hell? Lara's flesh prickled, her hair standing on end. Fiddler pointed to the maps on the wall. His grin spread wide. In two days, I'll deliver swarms of beetles to the parking lots at Fort Dietrich and Fort Meade. The beetles will fly into the trees unnoticed and sleep peacefully during the day. Since they are nocturnal creatures, I won't even have to wake them. The beetles will come to life when the sun goes down and take flight right as unsuspecting employees head home to spend the evening with their families. I program the beetles to disperse and attack individual targets. When they bite people, they won't think much of it. After all, it's only a bug bite, right? Lars shrank back at his unbridled enthusiasm for killing people. Fiddler was more unstable than she'd ever imagined. One second, he seemed happy, almost gleeful. Other times, he seemed contemplative or excited about scientific data. In those moments, she thought she glimpsed the man Fiddler once was, before he suffered the terrible loss of his family. Without warning, however, his mood would then turn dark and ominous, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Will I make it out of here? Repressing the thought, Laura lifted her chin and looked directly at the mad scientist. Confidence is the best strategy. When their eyes connected, Fiddler gestured toward the wall of the maps and the photos. A few days after the attack, people will begin experiencing symptoms fever, chills, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Some people will visit the doctor, others won't. Even if doctors prescribe antibiotics, they won't know what they're treating. And since the typical antibiotics are not likely to work, infected people won't recover. Some will develop the plague in the lungs. That's when the disease becomes contagious and they'll spread it to their loved ones. Without proper treatment, almost everyone infected with a plague will die. It will take several weeks before doctors realize what they're dealing with, that they're dealing with an, a plague ec- epidemic, and months before they figure out the source. Lars shivered, thinking of her own symptoms. Even on antibiotics, the disease knocked her off her feet for two days. The bite wounds on her arm itched angrily, but she couldn't reach them since her hands were tied behind her back. But you're going to kill innocent people who had nothing to do with what happened to you. Fiddler's upper lip curled. Wasn't my mother innocent? And what about my grandson and son-in-law? What did they have to do with anything? No, these people are filthy bureaucrats, all of them. They belong to the system that sold me out, betrayed unsuspecting innocents, and killed my family. To do the real work of protecting our nation, they forced me to experiment on my own lab, in my own lab, so that my wife's death is also on them. And now, in return, I will kill them all. Lara's blood ran cold. She could tell Fiddler meant it. He was fully committed to his plan and believed nothing could stop him. I don't understand. Isn't your grievance with Cybershop? Don't you really... Do you really need to kill all those innocent people? Think about your daughter, Anita. Lara didn't think she could talk him out of it, but she could at least try. Fiddler gave a bitter laugh. Don't you get it, Lara? Lara? Cybershop merely represents the corruption of these agencies. Killing one man would not be enough. Not after everything they've done to me. But don't you want me to investigate Cybershop's identity? Lara asked. Isn't that why I'm here? As soon as she uttered the words, she realized how ridiculous they sounded. After all, she'd destroy the bug, rejecting his offer, and he'd resorted to kidnapping her. Fiddler choked back laughter. Surely you didn't think I'd let you waltz out of here and run back to your FBI boyfriend with the details of my plan. This is a masterpiece. No, my concerto. No, my serenade. My serenade for America. When it is finished, those agencies will have learned the most difficult of lessons, and the people of this country will finally be safe from their incompetence. His expression made her flesh crawl. Fiddler walked over to her, his eyes wild. He grabbed her by the arm, dragging her from the stool. You're hurting me, Lara said. You know nothing of pain, Fiddler tightened his grip around her arm. Do you really take me for such a fool? You know far too much about me, about my plans, and you're too smart for your own good. I brought you here to tie up a loose end. I've been working on something special, something I made specifically for you. I've tested it a a few times on Ashton. He also needed punishment on occasion. Lara swallowed hard. She couldn't control her heartbeat anymore, and it raced inside her chest, thumping against her ribs. Her stomach turned as her body chilled. You see, I've been watching you for the past few weeks, and I know how much you dread my precious beetles. Fiddler yanked her into a dark room next to the laboratory. A small yellow bulb hung from the ceiling, flickering as it swung from its cord. When her eyes adjusted to the inconsistent light, she gasped in horror and stepped backwards, crashing into Fiddler. He shoved her forward with all his might, and she nearly fell headlong into the glass wall of six foot tall tank of golden beetles. With her hands tied behind her back, Lara bent her knees and pressed them against the tank wall to brace herself. Fiddler put one hand in the middle of her back and the other on the side of her head, pressing her face hard into the glass. To learn your lesson, you'll spend some quality time with my precious creatures. His cruel voice reminded her of the hissing over the transmitter. She bit her lip hard, so hard she tasted blood, a knot formed in the pit of her stomach. Fiddler pointed to the cameras hanging in the corners. And I'll capture it on live on camera and send the video to your pathetic boyfriend. You're sick, Lara said. As much as she tried to maintain a tough posture, intense fear swirled in her gut. Now or never. She put all of her weight on her left leg and slowly bent her right knee, bringing it up to her chest. With all her might, she jabbed the back of her foot into Fiddler's groin. For a moment, he moaned in surprise and released his grip. Her right foot planted back on the ground. Lara turned to face her captor and blanched at the barrel of a handgun in Fiddler's hands. Fiddler set his jaw and narrowed his eyes at Lara. The gun pointed straight at her. Lara kept her distance, her hands still tied behind her back. Fiddler reached for the glass door of the tank and opened it. He motioned her for her to enter. No way, Lara said, shaking her head, keeping her eye on the gun. Fiddler lunged toward her, gun in hand. He pressed the barrel to her temple. Move, he said. Lara's body froze. It was either the gun or the beetles, both of which were deadly. Going out like Ashton, that wasn't an option. Fiddler pushed her toward the door, but Lara braced her arm against the edge of the tank and dug in her heels. She desperately searched in her mind for a third option. I'm not going in there, Lara grunted as sweat dripped from her face. Fiddler backed up slightly, and Lara cowered, thinking he was going to hit her in the head with the butt of the gun. But instead, a loud crack filled the room as Fiddler fired the gun, and Lara's instincts made her dive to the floor, right into the tank. As she dove, the side of the tank scraped her arm, ripping her shirt and removing a layer of skin. Lara had closed her eyes, the sound of the gun filling her with fear. Now she opened them to find Fiddler had shot the ceiling, and she lay inside the tank, With a wicked grin, he closed and secured the door with a heavy padlock. Her energy was spent, and she couldn't fight anymore. No, please, Lara screamed, squeezing her eyes shut. Please don't. Fiddler turned off the light, closed the door, and the room became pitch black. You can't leave me in here, Lara screamed at the top of her lungs. Horrified, Lara curled up in a fetal position. When the first beetle landed on her bare arm, exposed by the tear in her shirt, she cringed. Her instinct screamed at her to writhe and flail, to get them off of her, but she froze. If I remain still, maybe they'll ignore me. The six small feet of the beetle pricked the fresh scrape on her arm. She fought to overcome the urge to shake it off her. Without warning, a sharp pinch caused her to yelp in pain. The beetle had bitten her near the wound in her arm. Blood bubbled up and dripped onto the glass floor. The buzz of the swarm overhead grew louder. My blood is attracting them. She looked up to see the beetles descend upon her. They landed and crawled all over her, nipping angrily at her flesh. A wave of nausea hit her, and she tasted bile. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.